So if you wouldn't mind, I'll ask you to grab your Bible and join me in the Old Testament book of Joshua this morning. And if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We keep some in the back just in case that might be a need that you would have. And there's a little note page in your bulletin. We'll ask you to grab that as well if you didn't know that that was um, there for you. And so church family, it's New Year's Day 2017. If you're like me, you can't help but ask yourself what this new year is going to hold. It's a somewhat odd thing, but there is at this time of the changing of the year an almost universal impulse to ask, what's coming? What's ahead? We kind of pause and we think about that at this particular time, maybe on this particular day. And I know this is true because I went online and I just Googled 2017 predictions. And I got more than 73 million hits. So I know a lot of people are thinking about what is ahead. Individuals, news magazines, social, political, financial, religious, think tanks, all offering up on the internet their predictions for what's going to happen in the coming year. A few examples that I came across. Italy's banking system is going to collapse. That will cripple the European Union. And with that, every other economy in the, Euro in the world will be impacted. Cheerful news for a New Year's Day, yeah? Uh, the U.S. and China, under our new administration, is going to enter into an all-out trade war in 2017. The Taliban will retake Afghanistan as we continue to pull out of that region of the world. North Korea will reach full nuclear capability in 2017 and become a truly terrifying threat to the world. Boy, that's good news. Yeah. There will be a crippling cyber attack on the U.S. infrastructure, primarily in the power grid area of our life in 2017. At least that's the prediction. But it's not all bad news. There are going to be tremendous advances uh, that are just around the corner in the fields of, of science and astronomy. Uh, medicine is going to take some major strides forward in 2017. Technology just kind of always is outrunning itself. And we would expect that again. Food production in this year will increase. And for the first time in a very long time, predictions are that the U.S. economy might break all previous growth records. We haven't said anything about that in a long, long time. Now, these are all just best guess predictions by some admittedly brilliant, well-positioned, well-informed experts who think they know what's coming in 2017. But the bottom line is nobody really knows because nobody has been there yet, right? Nobody knows. Today begins a brand new year and no one knows what history is going to record. What, 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 it's, it's all new ground. It's, it's unfamiliar territory. No one has ever passed this way before. No one has ever gone the way that we are about to go starting today with a brand new year. Fellow Christian, what's it going to take to navigate successfully, to do life and navigate effectively and successfully through 2017? 
What will it take to cope with the unexpected, handle the catastrophic, avoid the dangerous, counter the setbacks that are surely going to come, control fear, absorb loss, manage gains? What will it take to do 17 the way God would have us do it, no matter what it might hold? We've never passed this way before. So you've joined me in the Old Testament book of Joshua this morning because I believe some of the very best answers to the questions that we've just posed are hidden within the pages of this amazing Old Testament book. One of the most amazing things about our Bibles is that our Bibles only contain what is true. Do you believe that? I believe that. Our Bible contains truth because its author is God. And because that is true, the Bible only contains eternal truth because God is eternal and he is true. And because it is eternal truth, time has no impact upon what God says in his word. It holds truth that is relevant the day that it is first penned, and it is truth that it is relevant a thousand years later, or as in the case of the book of Joshua, 3,400 years later. And so as we open up this ancient book, we can be fully confident that it holds for us today truth that is going to be relevant and it's going to be practical. Joshua chapter 3 is where I will ask you to settle with me. We're going to be in several different places in the book of Joshua before we're done today, but let's begin here in chapter 3. The book of Joshua, as you may or may not know, is a book that recounts how the nation of Israel enters in and settles the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to their descendants. But it has taken a while for Israel to get to this moment. They've been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And then they leave Egypt, and it takes them 40 more years before God brings them to this moment where they're about to step into the land that God promised. God brings them out of Egypt, if you remember, by means of 10 brutal plagues and then under the capable leadership of Moses. Within a year of leaving Egypt, the nation should have been preparing to cross into the, the land of promise, to, to cross over the Jordan River and occupy the land according to God's plan. However, if you know their story, because of unbelief, because of shallow faith, because of short memories, Israel is destined to wander in the deserts of Sinai for, for 40 years. They left Egypt, should have been in the promised land in a year, but it's going to take them 40 years. 40 years until everyone 20 years of age and older has perished because of unbelief and fear. 40 years until a new generation with fresh faith, is ready to enter into the land and claim the promise. That's the setting. That's what brings us to Joshua chapter 3. The nation of Israel is about to cross the Jordan River and claim God's best for them. Verse 1, chapter 3. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan he and all the people of Israel, and they lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, 
As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length, or maybe 1,000 yards. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way that you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. We'll stop right there. Did you hear that? Did you hear what that just said? You have not passed this way before. God's people are venturing into unknown territory. These two million plus people have never been in this place, been or seen this land. They know nothing of its beauty. They know nothing of its abundance or its potential blessing, nor do they know anything about this land's dangers or its possible hardships, or its hidden threats. It's all new to them. You have not passed this way before. Now, a moment ago, I used those very same words with respect to you and me as we stand on the front steps of 2017. We have not passed this way before. Now, as I read these words from verse 4, I know, because I've read the rest of the story, I know that Israel, in spite of the fact that they have not gone this way before, they do successfully enter the land and settle it. They meet with, they deal with, and overcome the uncertainties and the unknowns. And by the end of the book of Joshua, they are enjoying the bounty and the blessing of the promised land, though they have not passed this way before. I know that because I've read the story. So I had this thought. If we look carefully, maybe we'll find woven in and out and through the pages of Joshua's record some helpful, well-timed for us practical advice, some truth that might help us as we stand poised to embark upon a brand new year since it's a way we have never been before. 2017. And sure enough, just through a casual reading of the book of Joshua, I found several places that offered up practical insights or or counsel or suggestions that if taken seriously and applied consistently by us, could help us navigate a really successful course through 2017 and beyond. Actually, I found more help than we have time to talk about this morning. But I did take six of the best of Joshua's suggestions, and I put them on that little note page for us today. And as you see it there, one of these helpful insights is right here within the first four verses of chapter 3 that we just read. And so I'll frame it this way. Since we have never passed this way before, let's let God go first. What do you think about that? Does that sound like good counsel? Since we've not passed this way before, let's let God go first. In verse 3, Israel's leaders tell the people this. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and what? Follow it. That means it goes first and you go second, right? Now, if, if you're fairly new to your Christian faith, that's an awesome thought. Welcome to the family of God. We are glad for you 
and, and your new relationship with the Lord. But verse 3 might not make all that much sense to you unless you have had a little bit of time uh, in the Old Testament and a little time with your Lord. So let's change that. Let's talk about this for a moment. The Ark of the Covenant, what was that? Sounds kind of strange. If you saw Indiana Jones, maybe you know something about this, but that's not where you want to get your, your truth, right? Right? So what we know about the Ark of the Covenant, it was a specially constructed object, the most sacred article in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was that portable place of worship that the Israelites used as they journeyed from Egypt to the Promised Land. And the Ark was the most sacred article within the tabernacle because it symbolized the presence of God with his people. God had given very clear instruction in the, in the book of Exodus for the construction of this Ark of the Covenant, how it should be carried, and how it was always to go before the people, representing the presence of God with them and going before them. And so whenever the nation would move on its journey from Egypt to the Promised Land, the Ark would go first and lead out this multitude of two-plus million people. And so here now, as the nation is about to enter the Promised Land, the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's personal presence, is going to go first. In verses 14 to 17 of this same chapter, we're told that when the priest carrying the Ark touched the edge of the Jordan River, the waters part, and the entire nation, two million plus people, pass into the Promised Land on dry ground. The waters, we're told, pile up for 15 miles upstream as God holds the Jordan River back. It's an extraordinary miracle. But the point is that's not to be missed isn't the river crossing itself. It's really the fact that God went first, right? He went before them. He opened up the way. He went first and showed them the way to go. And he removed the obstacles as he did that. Church family... Can it be any different for you or me as we think about going forward into a new year? It would be wise for us as we anticipate a new year if we, in an act of faith, committed ourselves to continually invite our God to go first. Does that not sound smart? God, you go first. As individuals, as, as couples, as husbands and wives as families with our children, as a church family. Lord, you go first. I will follow you. You lead. We will follow you. For Israel, it was wise, and it was God-authored counsel. I'll go first. You follow me. But how do we do that? How do we do that? In 2017, we don't have the Ark of the Covenant to guide us into this new year, do we? Clearing the obstacles away and showing us the right route? We don't have that. So how do we get God to go before us into 2017? Are you ready for this? Now, this is really deep spiritual stuff. Are you ready? Ready? We ask him to go first. What do you think? Yeah? that work? We'll ask God to go first? As we step into a brand new year, we'll ask him to be first. 
We humbly, dependently trusting in him, we say, Lord, you're my God, you're my, my, my Lord. I, you want my best more than I want my best. I will trust you. I will trust you, Lord. I will trust you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I will trust you to lead me. You go first, I will follow. That's the heart that God is asking for from his people as they step into this new territory. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 puts it this way. These are two verses that I'm suspecting many of you know and you've memorized. They're such great verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, what? Acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Acknowledging him means asking him to go first, doesn't it? It's exactly the same thought. Acknowledge him and he'll make your paths straight. Perhaps before this day ends, just by way of a practical application, before this day ends, this New Year's Day, as a single person, maybe as a couple, perhaps as a mom and dad, gather your kids around you and, and in a moment that you create, a sacred moment that you create, perhaps get down on your knees as a mom and dad or as a couple with your children and literally or figuratively get down on your knees and, and you claim... Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 as your verses for the year. If you haven't memorized these two verses, memorize them. Hide them in your heart. Claim their promise and give them back to the Lord every day for the next 365 days. Start your day with these two verses. Do you suppose that that might make a difference in how you do 2017? Do you think? Do you think you would be laying hold of God's promise that he will make your path straight if every day you commit this promise back to him? In 2017, we can be sure that there will be many occasions when our first impulse is going to be to act. And then only later in a moment of reflection, we'll draw before the Lord and we'll ask him if what we did was the right thing. That's getting it backwards, isn't it? Let's make a serious commitment starting today at the beginning of this year. Let's invite God to go first. Go first. I'll follow your lead. My family will follow your lead because you have promised. God, you've promised and you don't break promises. You've promised to make our path straight if we will do that. Now, that's not only smart counsel. Man, that leads to success. That's what it says, doesn't it? He'll make your path straight. He'll lead you in the right way. Well, speaking of success, there is some more sound counsel that will lead to success as we head into 17. If you'll just turn back a couple of pages with me from chapter 3 into Joshua chapter 1 and find verse 6. And again, these are verses that are very familiar to many of us. We've read them many times. Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. Let me read for us. The Lord said to Joshua, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. 
Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I would propose that there are three more practical suggestions for us that just kind of fall out of this section from 6 to 9. Since we've never passed this way before, it's imperative that we consistently be in God's word in 2017. We read that in verse 8, for example, God says to Joshua, Do not let the written word, my law, depart from you. Meditate on it, what? Day and night. That's God's instruction to Joshua. It's not just his instruction. It's his command, his personal directive to him as the leader of the nation, as they enter a new and unknown land, be in my word day and night. Can we afford not to do what God asks Joshua to do as we enter into a brand new time, 2017? How are we going to know how to respond in the best possible way to what life brings us if we're not in God's word? How are we going to know how to offer the most most sound counsel if we're not in God's word? How can we give encouragement to others or, or find strength for the difficult times or rebuke the sin that we will encounter or resist the temptations that Satan is surely going to put in our path? How will we be ready to share the way of eternal life with someone if we ourselves are not consistently in the Word of God? How can it happen? It can't. How can we realistically expect to do any of those things if we're not in the Word and taking our directions from it on a regular basis? To be effective servants in the employ of our King Jesus, we have to be Scripture-rich. We have to be devoted students of God's word in the coming year. That's just sound counsel. The opening words of the Old Testament book of Psalms reinforce this by saying this to us. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the word of God, and on his law he what? He meditates day and night. Does that sound familiar? He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. He is successful. This is exactly what the Lord said to Joshua. Meditate on my word night and day and I will make your way prosperous and successful as I define success. Now, in your bulletin this morning, when you came in and you received the bulletin, uh, and if you've taken a moment, you know that we have, we've taken the liberty of providing all of us with a possible way to help us get into the Word in this coming year. It's called Through the Book. 
in 17. And you have this insert in your bulletin this morning. And it's just a suggested strategy for enabling us to be able to read through the Word, the whole Word of God, in the next year. Many followers of Jesus have never read the entire Bible. Do you know that? Maybe you would be in, in that group. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long, long time, but you've never read the entire Bible. You've read bits and pieces of it, but you've never read the whole thing. What we like about this particular reading plan is that it's going to get you into different parts of your Bible every week. And so it's not this kind of running through from beginning to end where maybe you might lose momentum a little bit. You're going to be all over the scriptures for the next year. And when this year is done, if you stay with this, you're going to have read the whole Bible in the course of the year. Today's the day to start that thought. We've done this many times over the years here at IBC. This is just a new strategy. If you like a different one better, then by all means, use that. But it's one thing to be in God's word consistently. It is an entirely other thing to do what the word says. Would you agree with that? <laughs> Absolutely. So as God instructs Joshua upon entering new and unknown territory, he says to him in the second half of verse 7 there in chapter 1, be careful to what? Do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. He repeats the charge again in verse 8. Be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Doesn't it make sense, brothers and sisters, that if God has given us the outline for how to live and even gone to great trouble to make sure that that, that, that outline has historical examples and page after page after page, and then God has, has preserved this instruction for us all the way up to this moment, doesn't it make sense that it will be to our best benefit if we do what the book says? Here in verses 7 and 8, God goes so far as to promise that those who will obey the word will know what? Success. They're going to know success. But the opposite is also true. Disregard or ignore, ignore the word, and we will suffer the consequences of that. The loss, the heartache, the disappointment of trying to live based on our own insights, our own life experience, rather than God's truth. If you flip your note page over, check out the New Testament complement to Joshua's counsel here from James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. You know these words. But be, what's the next word? Doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, that's the word of God, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If we want to know blessing in 2017, the way to have it's right here. Know the word of God because you've read it and then do what it says. 
And added to this, God supplies another bit of counsel to Joshua and the people because back in Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, or verses 6, 7, and, and 9, he says three times, be strong and what? Courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. It's the kind of strength that comes from faith in a very strong God. And it's the kind of courage that is grounded in a God who cannot lose and has never lost. Right? Strength and courage. Brothers and sisters, these two things may, may be qualities that we are going to require in great measure in the coming year. We don't know. We've never passed this way before. We have all of our lives enjoyed such great religious freedom in our country. But we don't know what is ahead in 2017. One thing's for certain, our freedoms as devoted followers of Jesus are shrinking with the passage of every year and with the passage of every new law that flies in the face of God and ignores his clearly stated will, right? Our personal freedoms, our religious freedoms are shrinking every day. And things can change so quickly. If we know nothing else from history, we know that. Things well-established and long in existence can be turned upside down in a moment of time. And a Christianity that has, for the most part, been quite easy for us compared to other parts of the world, well, that, that Christianity that we have known that has been easy could become very costly and very difficult, calling for great spiritual strength and unflinching courage in 2017. We just don't know. We've never passed this way before. That, that courage, that strength must have its, its roots in a solid faith in the God of the Word and the Word of God. Good counsel for 2017. And then, in the middle of your note page on the back, since we've never passed this way before, we would do well to invite God into all of our decision-making moments. And for the, this advice, uh, we need to go to chapter 9 of Joshua. So if you'll join me over there, Joshua chapter 9. The full story here is larger than we have time for. So, so here's the cliff note version, if, you'll, if you're comfortable with that from me. There's a group of people living in the promised land who are called the Gibeonites. And they come to Joshua and his leaders disguised as if they are representatives of a tribe of people who live far away in a distant country, outside the land of Canaan, outside of the promised land. They come to Joshua with a story about having heard, even though from this faraway country, they've heard about the great power of Israel as it is taking the promised land, and they want to make a treaty. In reality, though, these they're, they're, they're going to be the ones who are supposed to feel the sword next as Israel takes the promised land. They're the next group of people that are supposed to experience the judgment of God. And Joshua and his leaders listen to this story. And the Gibeonites tell them this story and they're dressed in old rags as though they've been traveling for months and months and months and they have moldy bread and all of that. Joshua and his leaders look at all this 
And we just need to read a couple of verses. Verse 14. So the leaders partook of their provisions. Joshua and his men, they look at the leaders, look at their provisions, and did not ask direction from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them, guaranteeing their lives by a treaty. And the leaders of the congregation swore an oath to them. But when three days had passed after they had made a treaty with them, they heard that they were their neighbors and were living among them. Boom. (laughs) Church family, where did things break down for Joshua and the people? Verse 14, right? Verse 14. Israel's leaders did not ask direction from the Lord before they made this decision. They didn't bring God into their decision-making process. They did not seek his counsel before moving forward. If they had, they would certainly have been given insight by the Lord into this deception that has taken place. As it turns out now, Israel, having made this oath that it cannot break, and, and, and from that day on, they will, they're going to have to cope now with the presence of a pagan, idol-worshiping Canaanite community in their midst. Actually, it'll be a, a community of four cities that they cannot touch, that do not love their God or share their beliefs. And those communities are going to live right in the midst of their, their promised land because they thought they already knew what to do. Sin will now be given a home in their midst. It's the price that Israel pays for not seeking the Lord in their decision making. An ongoing consequence that's resulting from a momentary failure to look Godward before making a decision. Through the prophet Jeremiah, there on your note page, this is what God says to us. Stand at the crossroads and look. Imagine yourself on a road and it's going to fork in two directions. That's the picture. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find what? Rest for your soul. That's a great verse to memorize. Jeremiah 6.16. Brothers and sisters, just think about how many decisions you and I are going to make in this coming year. Thousands and thousands of decisions. Many of them will turn out to be of no great consequence. But others, they're going to have definite repercussions for us, for our families, for our children, for our church family, for our future. And we're not always going to know in the decision-making moment, if the consequences are going to be insignificant or if they're going to be really significant. We're not going to know. So what is the best approach? Bring all of it to the Lord first, right? Bring all of our decisions to Him. For that reason, we cannot afford not to invite Him into our decision-making, asking Him for the ancient past, asking Him for the good way, and walking in that. Through prayer, we talk to God about the decisions before we make them. 
We consult the Word of God to see if it addresses our specific situation already and gives us the counsel that we need. And we can even seek out the counsel of other spirit-filled, word-centered brothers and sisters as part of our seeking the Lord in a decision because He will speak to us through them as well. Let's not miss this, man. Joshua 9.14 is here because God wanted to be included in Israel's planning and in Israel's decision-making processes. He wanted to be involved. He's not changed. God is no less interested in you and in your life and in your family or in the life of this church family than he was in Israel's life. He wants to be involved. Since we've never passed this way before, let's determine today with renewed diligence to invite him, welcome him into our decision making. That's just good counsel, isn't it? And then for one last New Year's Day suggestion from the pages of Joshua, meet me over in chapter 24, would you? The last chapter of Joshua's book, Joshua 24. As we come to this moment, Joshua is now an old man. The promised land has been claimed, it's been conquered, and the people, God's people, who had no country, they now have a home. It's their home. In a final charge before his death at the age of 110, Joshua, among other things, says to the nation in verses 14 and 15 these words, Now therefore revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served before beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Now, if you're unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It's almost as though Joshua is saying, since we have never passed this way before, let's now, in a decisive act, throw off whatever it is that will keep us from being our best and doing our best in the Lord's service. Let's throw it off. He's urging the people to throw off the baggage that's going to hinder them from serving the Lord fully and completely and effectively. For Israel, it appears to have been a desire to continue to hold on to gods with a small g that are made out of wood and stone that the people's parents or maybe their grandparents had worshipped when they were slaves in Egypt. They've been keeping that baggage around somehow. And Joshua's reminding them that their God is not made of wood or stone. We might even hear Joshua say, He's Yahweh Elohim. He's the one and only true Lord and God. Serve him and worship him only. Today that admonition is timely for us on this first day of a brand new year, only there's a slightly different application for us. We're not likely to be caught up in a struggle between worshiping gods with a small g made out of clay or wood or stone rather than worshiping the true God. That's not where we're at. But there might well be something in your life Something in my life, maybe some sinful thing that is competing vigorously for our hearts and for our attention, for our time and our energy and our loyalty and our thoughts and our actions. And the possibilities of what that might be in a room filled with this many people is endless. 
And only you really know what it is that might be keeping your devotion and your service for the Lord from being all that it can be. But you know. If you hear the words, put away and choose this day, if you hear those words and something quickly comes into your mind that's going on in your life, then take that as coming from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is saying, this is something that you do not need in your life. It is hindering you in your service of your God. Today, today is the day you act decisively with that. You bring that to the Lord. You deal with it. That's what Joshua's calling for. Since you have never passed this way before, throw off what will keep you from doing and being your best and serving God with your whole heart. And again, only you know what that is. Now, this isn't just an Old Testament charge. We find the same, very same words and exhortation in the New Testament. In in the book of Hebrews, the Holy Spirit goes the very same place Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 therefore since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely throw it off and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us what is it brother or sister that that you No to be a hindrance, or at the very least, it's not an asset to your living well for Jesus right now. What do you want to do with that? You want to hold on to that? You want to give that a safe place? Or do you want to acknowledge that, confess it, and ask for it to be driven out of your life by any means that the Holy Spirit would choose to use? And then comes verse 2. After you lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and you run this race, verse 2, look to Jesus. Amen and amen. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking to Jesus. What kind of year will 2017 be? Nobody knows. Because no one has passed that way before. But the suggestions from the pages of Joshua's record, they are sound, sound counsel to all of us. Let God go first. Consistently be in the word and do what the word says. Be strong. Be courageous in a God who is strong and never loses. Invite God into your decision making. Not just the big ones as you see them, but all of them. And throw off whatever will keep you from serving your Lord with your whole heart. Looking to Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. On this, 
First day of a brand new year, I can think of no better way to usher this year into our lives than to do so at the table of communion this morning. It's the perfect conclusion to our time together to remember what Jesus has done to make it possible for us to have a great 2017. He gave us his life and ushered us into a personal relationship with his father. And we go into this new year with a personal relationship with the living God. But it all starts here with the cross of Jesus and our love for Jesus expressed in our faith in him. So we're going to share in this moment now, if you have made that decision to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, whether that was 50 years ago or whether that was yesterday, this table belongs to you. It's yours. And, and, and Jesus would invite you to come and remember his body broken for you, his blood poured out for your sake. So we're going to give you a moment to do that, to just draw before your Lord, examine your heart. If there's, if there's that baggage, that thing that, that, that you, you know is there that needs to be done away with, maybe this is the moment. This is where you talk to God about that. And as you're doing that, I'll invite those who are going to help serve you this morning if they will come to the front. But let's pray together now. Heavenly Father, here your people are. We're all here. Sinners saved by the pure love and grace that you have poured out from yourself to us. We are so grateful for this moment. Lord Jesus, thank you for making this moment. Instituting it at the, on the night before you were crucified. May our hearts just overflow with gratitude, with humility, with the determination to live holy before you as you enable us to do that. May we not take this bread and this cup in an unworthy manner, but in a manner that would bring great delight to your heart because we understand what it means. It was your life for our life. We understand that. Thank you. These moments are yours. We give them to you in Jesus' name. Amen.